Good afternoon, everybody. We are here at FDIC, and I am Lori Moore Merrill. I'm the U.S. Fire Administrator, and I'm thrilled to be here with three of my friends, first of all, but three leaders, three women leaders in the fire service, but three leaders in the fire service. So leadership of our Women in Fire organization, mm-hmm. and that I'm so honored to be even sitting in the same room with these three women. And so thank you guys for allowing me to come here and have this conversation with you this afternoon. So with that, I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves to you. So Tony, if you'll go first. Sure. Uh, my name is Tony Washington. I am the president of Women in Fire, also serving as fire chief for the city of Decatur in Georgia for the last 13 years now. That's amazing. And good afternoon, everyone. And thank you, Dr. Lori. I'm Kalila Yancey. I um, am the secretary treasurer for Women in Fire, and I'm also a captain in the Baltimore City Fire Department, where I've been for 19 years. And Rachel. Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm Rachel Stabell. Um, I am the vice president for Women in Fire, and I come from Colorado Springs, Colorado, where I'm a current uh, lieutenant paramedic. Excellent. Well, thank you all again for letting me be here with you, um, sit here, have a conversation. That's what we want to do. Um, you all know that I've only been in this seat just about a year and a half as a fire administrator. And so when I came in, what I wanted to do, one of my primary missions is to make sure that we could come together as the fire service to have some change. And so uh, I, I talked this morning about reading the legislation that enabled the USFA, our, our fire administration, and in there realized that the fire administration was supposed to be having a summit every year, and that summit should have included all of our, our fire organizations, and yet we'd never had one. And so last year in October, I wanted to call this, this all call of the fire organizations And so I did that and I started with really just the nine largest because that's the group we call the nine sisters, if you're not familiar with that term. And those are the, the, you know, larger organizations. We refer to them as the major organizations, but that's really not true anymore because when I just called them to the table, I got a call uh, or a text, maybe Rachel, I'm not sure. I I think maybe both. Probably. And and what did you say? I said, Hey, what about us? What about us? (laughs) What about us? And that was so true because Rachel called me right away and said, hey, women in fire, can we have a seat at the table? And that's a, uh, it was giving me this wake up call that, you know what, if we're going to hold a summit, let's hold the summit for everybody. And so that's what we did. So I want to thank you for that, for calling and saying and being bold enough to call and say, hey, what about us? Thank you for answering the text (laughs) and the phone call. Exactly. So let me ask you then, Rachel, you said, what about us? And I said, yes, you need a seat at the table. Mm -hmm. So let's just put that in context. What does a seat at the table mean for women in fire or for you? What is your perspective? What does a seat at the table mean? You know, Women in Fire leadership um, fullheartedly believes that we represent our members. We represent, we use our positions and, and the things we're doing in our voices to represent the female firefighters out there. And so a seat at the table, while while it was myself sitting at that table and, and, and doing those things, it meant representation 
that was unprecedented for our female firefighters in the past. And so I sat there with the weight of, of the women out there in the job and in the industry and in the fire service, um, that weight on me and in that great responsibility. And so a seat at the table means a chance for us to be a voice for those members and for those females out there um, and to know their issues are my issues, my issues are theirs. And, and the things we can talk about directly reflect and impact their daily jobs to go out and serve their communities, their departments and their cities and their towns. Mm, I love that. I love that. So you, you really feel you're their representative. You're their voice in the room. No different than you do for the rest of us. I mean, it's that same servant leadership. I think that um, I know for a fact that there's been people in my career that I know have listened and, and carried on my message. And I know how important that is. And I think that is the mission of, of who we are as women in fire is to, is to represent well, the people that don't even, even if they don't know we exist, we want to make sure we're doing what we can for them to make, make this fire service better. I love it. I love it. Khalila, what does that mean to you? What is the seat at the table? Well, mean? one of the things that we always say about the seat at the table, if you don't have a seat, you're on the menu, right? Uh, so right. <laughs> now that we have that seat, we're able to add to the menu because we think differently. Women, we think differently. So it's always important for us to be there instead of the, the group thinking that the fire service is used to. It's better for us to be there to take things to another level because we have a whole different mindset of how we do things and think about things. So I think that's one of the things besides all the things that Rachel said, us being there and be able to get them out of that group think. And then for me personally, it was amazing to know that you gave us that invitation and then you broke barriers by and having women in fire there. And then also as a woman of color, mm. it was just two of us in the room. Mm. So to me, it meant everything just to have that opportunity to be able to speak for women and for people that look like me. Mm. I love that. I love that. And thank you for being bold enough to bring that up because these are the conversations that we want to have and we have to have the courage and the transparency to have them. Yes. And so I really appreciate that because you're right, the diversity of opinion. And, you know, today I, I talk about a lot about generational differences and that's one of the things that come up every time is that diversity in what we call diversity is not what the next generation is called right. diversity. We talk about race, ethnicity, right. And, color right we don't see that in the upcoming generations it's diversity of thought right and you just said that mm -hmm. we think differently and i, I love that concept yeah. so you're spot on Thanks. tony what do yes. you think so um dr Lori, i wasn't there but i felt like i was yeah. there the energy that i got from rachel and kalila was just amazing um you know, just for us to have a voice, like Rachel said, mm -hmm. was amazing. Mm -hmm. For us to have a seat at the table and not necessarily be on the menu, like <laughs> Kalila said, exactly. it's awesome. And the things that they brought back, it just really empowered us even more as women to move forward with our vision and the goals that we see for all the women in the fire service, whether it's uh, members of our organization are just women as a whole, because we constantly remind people that we serve more than just our members. Our goal is to make it better for all women. Oh, I love that. I yes. love that. And that gets back to that. What came out of the summit? And I talked some about that this morning, this national strategy where we really identified as the whole of the fire service, all of those voices identified some unique issues, challenges for the fire service as a whole, challenges for firefighters mm -hmm. as well. So listen, if you guys don't mind, I want to just get your opinion about some of these things. So the first one that we talked about was wildfire. Mm -hmm. 
Have any of you experienced, or I know I'm going to look over here again, and Rachel, <laughs> I, I know you have experienced wildfire. You come from That's Colorado me. Springs, mm-hmm. Waldo Canyon, yep. uh, first of all, but others, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. So the threat of wildfire, how significant is that? And why do we, why must we address this as the whole of the fire service? You know, I think um, because it's there, it's a response for us. Um, if we're going out the door to these things, it matters. And and if we're going out the door, we need to be prepared and we need to be ready to take on whatever fight awaits us at the end. And, and as someone who, um, you know, it spent quite a bit of time at our wildland station in, in, in Colorado Springs, and I'm very familiar with the WUI and its impact. And um, I know exactly Waldo Canyon, I, I, showing up in bunkers and getting in wildland and, and the things on fire weren't grass. And with the challenges that presents us and with everything we know today, the WUI is as important to us as any structural firefighting techniques and, and the PPE is important and the cleaning is important and, and recognizing that our fire service has evolved past categories now. We're to that gray area where things are mixed in. And and so I it, it made me happy to know that when we talk through these things that, that you as a fire administrator were listening and you cared what we had to say. And and this was something that absolutely someone from Colorado is near and dear to my heart because it's what we do. And, you know, we're ready every day with bunkers, wildland gear and everything in between. And and to make that a priority for our firefighters is huge because we still need to be safe. We still need to have the proper equipment and we need to decon appropriately from those things. And we need to keep our citizens and our, and our communities safe. And so making that a forefront topic is fantastic. And even in, even in our town, we've taken that lesson a few years ago, a little bit earlier than most. And, and I've seen that over my career, I've seen us go from understanding that things aren't just grass and they're not just houses. And there's a mix in between, you know, and, and how to prepare for that so that our city feels comfortable at night when they go to sleep to know that if we have to go out the door, we're going to do the Mm -hmm. best we can to do the best for our community. And so having that at a national level means a lot. It's, it's a very important conversation and thank you for bringing it up to yeah. the national level. Yeah, yeah. and Dr. Amazing. Lori, just to, to piggyback on, on what Rachel is saying, and then something that you said during your speech this morning, you know, we're seeing wildland fires more often in more places. It's not just in rural areas. You know, when I started out in the fire service a long, long time ago, um, I won't date myself, but, you know, um, you know, you didn't, it was just uh, those fires were concentrated in certain areas. Mm-hmm. Now we're seeing them more often, more diff- more places. Mm-hmm. So it's important that we all understand. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Anything to add with that? Please? Just coming from an um, urban fire department where we do get a lot of structural fires, um, wildland is not something that's in my purview. But being at the summit, I learned a lot about wildland interface yeah. that we as firefighters are going to have to learn no matter where you live, what geographical area you um you know, you work for, you need to learn because it's coming. And so we need to be prepared and be educated on it. And so that was one of the things I definitely took away from the summit. And I appreciate it. Oh, my goodness. I love you saying that because the summit was to be a learning opportunity as much as you were giving. I hope you were getting Mm -hmm. and you just confirmed that. So I appreciate that. You know, the next thing we talked about at the summit had to do with recruitment, firefighter recruitment. So you're chief, Tony. So I'm going to start with you. How difficult is it for you to recruit? And you can talk about retention too, as much as you wish. 
But um, recruitment right now is a challenge across our nation. What are you? Yes. What are it, you seeing? Yes, it's definitely a challenge. And the reality is uh, we're going to have to change the way we do business. We have to be a more attractive fire service. And yes, we have our traditions. We have those things that we're comfortable with. But we as leaders, we're going to have to change or else we're going to find ourselves with no firefighters, you know? So, you know, I think that that's big. And when we talk about recruitment, retention is just important because once we get people in the door, we got to keep them. Mm. So yes. there has to be some intentional actions around what we're doing as leaders to ensure that we're getting the people in the door and, and making sure that they want to stay and promote up mm. because that's a challenge that we also face is when they get there, you know, oh, I just want to be that good firefighter. Well, we don't need a lot of just good firefighters. You, we need leaders. We need the people that are looking to move up, make our service better and continue on and leave that legacy. Oh, I love that. That's excellent. That's excellent. So what are you guys seeing? What What is happening in your departments? What are you witnessing from others? What do we need to focus on? What do we got to change? We have to adapt to the generational differences. Like that's a major thing. And you definitely, you go around speaking on that, but I think more people need to hear that message because this generation is not the same generation. You can't talk to them the same. They, I, I call it the microwave generation. They want everything now and they want to know why. Mm -hmm. Where we came in the fire department, you didn't ask questions. You did what you were told. Okay. Um, in my department, chiefs didn't even speak to you. If you weren't an officer, you couldn't talk to the chief. Mm. And so mm. the, the generation now, they don't understand that that was the culture of the fire service. And But as the fire service and leaders, we have to be forward thinkers and innovative on ways that we can get them in and keep them, like Chief Washington said. And to do that, we have to adapt. We have to adapt. We have to be able to come to their level and be understanding. And then we also have to change the culture of the ones that have already been in so that they can understand how to work with them to for the retention because they don't understand they don't want to take the time to train them because they don't think that they want to listen or that they can learn and they can they just have to do it in a different way and once the older culture understands that then we can bridge that gap amongst the younger ones and the older ones and hopefully help fix this problem i agree with yeah. you yeah. and, and help their kids yeah. too absolutely yeah. and it's something as simple as you know i grew up in the fire service with a map book you know, Me you too. give Me too. you Me give too. the newer worker a map book, they are not having it. No. So it's just simple changes that we have to adapt to. And yes, it was once the great thing, but it's not the most efficient thing now. Mm -hmm. So as leaders, we have to make those changes, not understanding that it's not important to learn your streets, but it's more efficient to do it a different way. Yes. Right. Yes. Mm -hmm. And there are things, though, Rachel, that I can't look up in the moment, like the street where I'm going, right? So some mental, re we have to retain some knowledge. And as, as Khalid just said, we've got to change the way we teach mm -hmm. because they're visual learners. We mm -hmm. know that. So how are we going to overcome this challenge of identifying candidates and then training them, keeping them, and helping them succeed? You know, I think... It if you're not, if you don't understand that the fire, fires are changing and, and the way things are burning are changing, the data is changing, the science is telling us 
things are not the way they used to be. If you don't know that, your head's in the dirt. There's no other way to say it. And so anyone that recognizes that recognizes we're faced with bigger, more life-threatening challenges at fire scenes, at emergency medical scenes, and at things we go to today. And any leader worth their weight is going to recognize that I need an efficient, cohesive team. And when we get back to the idea that teams are where we're going to find success and success means better communities and saving lives, then getting back to that team mentality, that's a no-brainer for recruitment and retention. If you want a good team, you recognize that a quarterback and an offensive line person are not the same. But do they both work effectively for a team? Absolutely. And so when you think about teams in a way of diversity of thought, diversity of size, diversity of, of experience – and you can find a way to, to focus on that team once that bell goes off as cohesive and ready to fulfill that mission, a mission-driven team for the, for the uniform they are wearing. That needs to be the focus because what's out there is trying to kill us. We need to not be doing that behind the walls. We need to go out there as one unit and, and, and perform our tasks seamlessly. And the best way to do that is promote teamwork and unity and teamwork. And if you want to solve recruitment retention, you start showing a fire service that's united as a team and focused on their mission. Your differences can have, you can have fun in the firehouse all day. I love it. I love the firehouse. But when that bell goes off, that person is your teammate. So you better find a way to have a good time and create that cohesiveness because we're going out to do what we do for strangers. Let's do that for our brothers and sisters inside the firehouse. And that, to me, once we get to that point and we have leaders that foster that kind of environment, there's places in our country that are phenomenal for recruitment and retention. And what you've done with the summit is is kept those from siloing up. You're saying, hey, folks that are great at this, share what you've done. Folks that aren't great, pay attention. And that's why the one voice is so important because it's given us a platform for those things to be looked at and explored. Who's doing it well and who's not? And how do we all get on the same page with this? Yeah, that's awesome. And you guys have it. I, I love this insight. I really want to sit here and take notes uh, because the things you all are saying are spot on, spot on. And so this is, is going to have to go forward in those work groups. Leah, you're on one. Yep, I'm on Let's recruitment say, yeah. and retention. There you go. So <laughs> make sure we this these insights are incredible. So let's go to um, cancer. That's another strategy. We all know. I'm sure if I say, okay, which ones of you know somebody, you've lost somebody to cancer, we all are going to say, yes, somebody mm -hmm. close, yes. So this is a scourge on the fire service. Mm -hmm. What are we going to do? We have a lot in, in play. The NFR, the National Firefighter Registry, just went live. Mm -hmm. It's going to be critical for us to continue to research. We need healthy firefighters because we can't just look at those who got cancer. We need healthy firefighters. What are you guys? Please give me your thoughts on, on cancer. What are we doing right? What are we missing here? Um, anything else that you'd like to share? You made a key um, statement when you said more research. Mm -hmm. And so Women in Fire has um, tried to do that with some of our grants, working with NDRI and Dr. Sari Jenke. We are working on researching and doing um, pamphlets that we can give to firefighters so that they can give to their doctors to let them know about um, things that are coming up, the signs and symptoms to look for so that we can try to help be a preventer you know, to do the things that we can for ourselves to prevent our coworkers from receiving cancer. Oh, and we, right. yes, we need to continue to collect that data. I think it's important. I think it's, to, it's important to bring awareness about the, the topic of cancer and the things that you can do for pre preventive measures, as well as the things to look for. So 
if something should happen, that we catch it in those early stages and to do that research to say, okay, these are the things that we need to change to make sure we don't get here. Mm -hmm. And so that research, that, that data collection is very, very important. Mm -hmm. And I think that we need to continue to explore different avenues in which we uh, get this information so we can put more pre preventive measures in place to reduce our risks. Mm, and I listen, accountability is big in the fire service. So two in, two out. We have accountability in a lot of things. And, and to me, the cancer talk and this discussion cannot be had without two forms of accountability. And it's one, the firefighter being accountable to themselves. We, we know. We know now. Right. So take accountability for your own health. Put yourself in the best position possible to be as healthy as you can. Know what your risks are. Know what the risks in the firehouse are for you. Understand the things Understand that dirty gear is cancer, right? Don't have accountability to yourself and to your family. And the second fold of that is, and, and the personal accountability, the industry is working on it. We're working through Enfer's apps and we're working with multiple groups to try to help our firefighters track their exposures themselves. Don't wait for someone else to do it for you. Don't wait till that day comes and that phone call comes to track that. Start tracking it now and, and, and stay ahead of it. So be accountable to your own health. But the second side of that is, Industry leaders and, and the chiefs groups at the highest level are accountable to those in their charge. We know better, do better. Don't tell me I can't afford it. I get it. I understand that money is a big deal, but these firefighters are a big deal. We've all, every single person in this building has lost someone near and dear to them from cancer and we're tired of it. And everyone's tired of it. Chiefs are tired of it. People are tired of it. But my, my thing is then Chief Fitz out of Orange County was a great example he made some courageous decisions to get his crews in the right gear at the right time and made some policies that aren't necessarily popular. If they're going to save lives, I don't care. I'll take the unpopular vote all day long. And so the accountability has to also be not only on the firefighter themselves, but on the industry and, and on the leadership to say, I don't want to pay for funerals. I want to pay for gear. I want to pay for the right gear. I want to pay for the right cleanliness. I want to pay for stations that will keep my firefighters healthy because any leader worth their salt again would say they are the most valuable tool on, on that rig. If we're cleaning axes and halligans, better be cleaning our firefighters. No different. Uh, I think it's also awesome. important that as we gather this information, that we're sharing it with these manufacturers because it does us no good to have the information, but they're not uh, developing this, the equipment to protect us. So I think it's very important mm -hmm. that we start sharing information mm -hmm. so they can make gear or PPE to protect us from yes. cancer and other things. Absolutely. And your platform is another great example of putting all this out there at a national level to get the attention as for multiple people to look at. Yeah. It's a huge platform. Wow. The insights that you guys are bringing, I mean, you're very, the passion. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Because that's the kind of stuff that has to become contagious, mm -hmm. right? Across the fire service. We all have to be angry enough to say enough. Mm -hmm. And don't walk around with soot on you. Wash your gear. Wash your helmet for crying out loud. Mm -hmm. Change out your gloves, right? These things that science has told us matter. Mm -hmm. So thank you around the world. Let's take on something else here. So the next strategy in our national strategy has to do with behavior health category. And so we talk a lot and we've really over the last 10 years, frankly, have done a lot to reduce the stigma. Right? I think we've, I really do think we've made progress. We talk a lot about PCSD. We've got a large percentage of the fire service who have been diagnosed with symptoms of 
Um, we unfortunately have the same suicide rate as our military and our law enforcement. And so what you guys hear me say is we've got to talk about the pre, not just the post. Mm -hmm. How are we going to stop this? And clearly, again, with our generations coming in, I feel like they're much more vulnerable even than we were because growing up, we were allowed to, you know, play outside, fall down, get dirty, all of those things that help you grow and build resilience in yourself individually. I'm not sure that as a generation, they have the same level of mental resilience. So talk to me guys about what, what are we, what are we facing? What can we do? What are your feelings in this space? Yes. So we, I'm sorry, we had a meeting earlier today and we, we touched on this very topic and, um, you know, when you have a new recruit coming in, it's critical. These kind of things we need to start very early on and teach in recruit academy. And it's not just about the PTSD. It's about the mental health and preparing yourself. You know, when you take someone that's never seen a, a, a trauma scene and then now all of a sudden you throw them in and they don't even know how to uh, digest and move forward with that scene. And, you know, for so long, uh, firefighters have tried to be macho, like, you know, this doesn't bother me. But I mean, if you're a real person, things like that bother you, but we didn't talk about it. So mental health is very important. And I think that we have to start at the recruit academy when they are first coming in. Mm -hmm. So they understand it's okay. We need you to talk to us. Mm -hmm. We need, let us provide that, that help and that support mm -hmm. and those resources that you need to move past it and move on mm -hmm. and don't internalize everything and just keep it to yourself and feel like you have to keep your shoulders up and, and, um, and not be that real person. So mm -hmm. I think the, the near and dear to my heart, obviously is this topic. And so I think the more I think about it, I think about it a lot. And per our discussion this morning is we talk about resiliency and, but do we ever say to what, right? And so we teach, we tell the recruits, you know, we teach them how many times to throw a ladder, drag a hose, understand how, what the smoke looks like, read these buildings. Never, very few times, I won't say ever say never, but we say, well, how do we build resiliency? But we need to be honest about what we're building resiliency for. And when we talk to these young recruits, we need to have the courage to say, you're going to go do things that your brain cannot comprehend. You are not wired to understand how to comprehend this. Therefore, when you come back to the firehouse, you might experience some things. What we want you to do is understand that's normal. And these are the things we want you to look out for, right? We tell people how to read a building, read smoke, read a scene, know what's safe. We'd go, no, go all day long on fires and understand what we will tolerate to go in there and save lives. And it's no different with mental health. We need to say, this is what's going to happen. These are the signs you need to look for. If we, if, 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 if emotional trauma and if the things these cats are going to see could be red like smoke, we, this wouldn't be a discussion right now, mm -hmm. but we, we, we say, let's be resilient, but we don't talk about to what. And I think that's what we need to do in, in the early stages of the career say this career is going to test you. And it's, and it's a heroic, fantastic career. It's the best thing you're ever going to do, but you're going to be seeing and doing some things you never thought you would. Here's how we're going to help you through that process. And that's how we build resiliency. Here are the tools you need to recover. No different than, hey, you had this fire, go wash your gear. Hey, you had this traumatic scene. These are some things, if you want them, they're here for you. And I, I think we just need to be honest and real about the mental threats to our new firefighters so that they understand a lot of these cats can cope just fine given the right skills. So let's give them the opportunity to do that early on. Let's not wait until they're broken to say, oh, how do we build resiliency back up in you? Mm. 
be honest with them in recruit school because I guarantee you they're going to say, okay, I take that on. They raised their hand and they did that honorable thing and they want to serve their community. But let's be honest with them about the risk they're going to be in. And let's be honest with them about the help that's out there. To me, that's that's as important as anything. It, we say resiliency, but I want to say, tell them why. Yeah. Yeah. So some of that, Rachel, just to capitalize, I want to come to you, Kalila, but to capitalize on what you just said, the resiliency to what, mm-hmm. how much of a role do you think that technology advancement has played in the lack of resilience in people in general, Mm -hmm. but certainly in the generations that we are now hiring, how much of a contributor is that to lack of resilience? Because that's what I wanted to talk about. So not to take Rachel, Sean, but that's what I wanted to say. Oh, we expect a lot out of a generation that has not been taught that because they don't they're lacking people skills. Their phone is their people. They don't go outside and play like people used to do to build the resiliency for when things tough happen to you or to not understand, you know, Mm -hmm. different things and life happens, Um, let alone traumas and things like Rachel was saying. All they know is their phone. That's that's their coping skill. That's their mechanism. That's their reality. That's their reality. So we have to learn how to adapt and change that. And on a positive note, everything that Rachel was saying is right on. Like my department, I can say we hold when a new recruit class starts, we typically start on a Wednesday. On a Friday, we have what we call family and friends night. And we bring in all the recruits with their families so they can understand the dynamics that it's going to take for them to get through this academy, all that, you know, so your wife or your husband understand you may be tired when you come home, the kids. But then we also bring in our the group that we use, BHS, Behavioral Health Services. They have a whole piece that night so that they can go over and give them all the resources and tell them everything mm. they need. So we do try to start from the beginning because we saw that being an issue with a lot of people, and especially the younger generation. And I'll add on yeah. to that too. I think also the thing we haven't really given, I feel like I we haven't given much thought to, I'll say we collectively, is that the generation coming into the fire service, the generation raised in technology and raised on their phones and raised with starting at 9-11, raised with active shooter, raised with mass trauma, raised with, I mean, think of, I can't think of any generation before us that before this, that speeds are faster, cars are more technology, they have more going on. This is a generation that was raised with almost a numbness to a lot of social things that are terrible. And then we put them in a position where now it's not numb on a screen, you're physically there, you can hear you can see, you can smell, you can have all those tangible experiences. This isn't a video game anymore. These are uh, real people in real life. Yes. And how do we bridge that gap for them then? Because with that brings a lot of good things because, you know, I, they've grew up with it, but now they are the person they're doing it. This isn't call of duty. This is real life stuff and no different than the military deals with that as well. So there are some challenges with that and that technology and, and the fact that these, the generations today have been raised with all of those things. And so helping them bridge that gap to, I've seen it. I'm numb to it too. Holy cow. I'm right here in the middle of it. And I, how do I not forget it? How do I process that right. in a way that is unwiring from a video game or any other experience that they've had with those mm-hmm. things? And yeah. too, Dr. Lori, I think that we as fire service leaders, fire service chiefs and training chiefs, 
we have to be intentional by giving direction of spending, spending more time, you know, during your 12 weeks of recruit training, you know, four hours isn't enough to spend on the mental health aspect. Not at all. You know, we have to spend more time. So it's ingrained in them and they understand. And it's not just, oh, we check that box. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think that that's going to be important too. You know, and I often compare us to the military and we can watch the military for indicators about ways forward for us because we run in parallel. And so they're dealing with the same exact scenario. And the army in particular has developed something called ready and resilient. And so they have a whole program and it, it looks at, you know, health and fitness and it looks at family and it looks like it looks at your your spirituality or your faith and shoring up these things and i I know that the iff has taken that on and converted it to the fire service and so for me one of the takeaways that i uh, remember from that sort of training as i i call them the three f's right family Mm -hmm. friends and faith uh, for me, and that if we can shore that up in our lives, then we have that infrastructure for ourselves, mm-hmm. right? We have a place. And I know music is a go-to for a lot of people, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Music is a go-to. A quiet meditation is a go-to. But these things require discipline. All of those things, mm-hmm. right? So not to let yourself be by yourself in this space, mm-hmm. So shoring up your own behavior health infrastructure, I, I think, I guess that's how I'm thinking about that. Uh, does that, am I yeah. on something there? Yeah, self-care. I, I think so. I think so. And I, I think that the money that is designated through some of the grants that you provide um, is very important because that wellness piece is very important. Mm. You know, we talk about, you know, funding and supporting a lot of these programs that we might not have that in our budget. But the money that's uh, provided through the assistance to firefighters grant, that'll allow us to develop these programs and see the impact that it has on mm-hmm. our employees mm-hmm. and be able to continue it. So, yes, you know, I did a um, a, pro- a wellness program and I required it wasn't optional for my firefighters to do yoga. And they were, I love it. you know, they, they were resistance, but they had to do it. And the feedback that I received from that was tremendous of how it helped me. I did not know. That's amazing. And I've seen that more and more and more uh, at our large conferences now. There is 7 a.m. yoga uh, or whatever, 5.30 a.m. yoga. Um, and these firefighters are lining up for it. They're out the door. And so that is, that's spot on, spot on. All right. I'm going to take you to the last strategy. Um, when we talk about our national strategy and, you know, we talk a lot about all of our fire departments about community risk reduction. Mm-hmm. We're all into CRR, right? Mm-hmm. That's been a wave for the last few years and focusing on reducing risk because if we can reduce the risk, we make the response environment Better for our responders, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's better, it's safer for you going in. If I have reduced the risk before. Mm-hmm. In FEMA, we call that building resilience, right? If I can build resilience in a community, mm-hmm. then if disaster comes, it's not as devastating and recovery is faster. Mm-hmm. Same concept, mm-hmm. right? As community risk reduction. So for us, that space resides around, in part, building codes and standards. Mm-hmm. 
So billing codes and standards, we have, they're all over the place across the U.S. Uh, it's very frustrating, the lack of consistency. Mm -hmm. So tell me about your insights. Share with me, what do, what do we need to do? What, what are we missing? Where can we go? How important building codes and standards? Rachel. I, you know, I, and I'll speak again to the WUI concept of building codes and standards is um, for us in the Western states and, and obviously more and more across the United States is um, help us help you. You know, oh, when the, love it's not if it's when, it's when the next fire comes rolling through. And, and for us in Springs, it's always Waldo too. And it was terrifying. Every night I'd be at the station. I think, man, I hope it's not while I'm on shift. I don't want to do that again. Um, and so help us help you and, and help us make this as safe as we can. We know we can't save everything, but help us save the important stuff, which is mm. the human life that's involved in these things. And, and depending on what's in the WUI, there's specific challenges in there. Like for us, we have a zoo. We have, um, you know, the, the chain of fuel, the fuel chain is, is, is continuous all the way into like Manitou Springs and other agencies. And, and so things like, um, risk reduction in the WUI is so important because we don't have enough people to do the work that's going to be required when this thing rolls through. And we're going to have to triage what we're going to do. And I guarantee you a community that has reduced its risk is going to have far better outcome. And it sounds so easy to say, but it's so hard to get people to do oh, absolutely. and getting that end product out there of, if you help us, we can help you. If you don't help us, we're going to try, but Holy cow, we got to triage that stuff. And so just that realization of helping the community understand we can't do it all. We need your help. We don't have enough firefighters. We, we do just don't. All. And even if I did, I don't know what we're going to be looking at. Who knows what the winds and the, and the climate and who knows what the resources, I mean, any given summer, you know, that mutual aid and the help coming is going to be sparse. We're spread so thin during the regular season. Absolutely. And so I think the reality is, is if we can get our communities to help us, we're going to have way better outcomes. And, and so that's so valuable to us. I know for sure in Colorado, but across the country that, that part is just, it's, it's, it's just clutch. If, if Fire we want to. Everyone's fight. It yes. is. And, and you know, I mean, we know the stats, we know the data house to house ignition. And if we can just draw the line and get it done and, and you can help us get that line drawn before it hits those neighborhoods, think of what we can save. Mm. So. That's spot on, Rachel. Spot on. And I think for us, it was a, almost a tagline of make yourself savable, mm -hmm. right? If yep. you make yourself savable by doing some of these things that reduce the risk early, mm -hmm. then um, we get, may give us time to get mm -hmm. firefighters to you to rescue. And it's the harsh truth of a lot of things that sometimes you just got to do. When I say, hey, you need, to, you need to create defensible space around your home. But I love these trees. Do you love the trees more than you love potentially your life and your family's life? Because that's what we're looking at. And that's what we're talking about. Yes. And those, those harsh realities have to be sometimes placed back in the community's hands to say, you need to decide that because otherwise I'm going to decide it for you. And I don't know that you're going to like the answer. Mm -hmm. So think about those things. What would you do? These people walk around and say, I would defend my family for these things. Cool. Then cut that tree down. Right. Because right. That, it's that tree or your family's life potentially. And please don't make us make that decision. Yeah, I love that. I think that's too about bringing that awareness. This is all about awareness because I think people look at, oh, you're making me spend more money. It's just about, you know, uh, these companies making more money. And that's why you're making me do this, this and that. Mm -hmm. No, it's about saving a life. Mm -hmm. And we, when we put the reality in front of them, hey, you don't do this. Every fire is different from for mm. us. None, no fire is alike. Mm -hmm. So we never know what can or what will happen until it happens.
happens. Mm -hmm. So if we put those realities in front of them and, and make them more aware of what could happen if you don't do this, or here is the impact of a sprinkler system, uh, you know, yes. I think that that's very important. And I think we have to give, you know, before, uh, when I first came in the fire service, they didn't like to say, oh, death, death, death. But I think that the now those are realities that if you don't do this, this is what happens. Someone will lose it or can lose their life. And the hundreds of dollars that you have to spend or the thousands of dollars that you have to spend is worth not losing a life. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you know, the numbers already this year, we're, we're sitting here, you know, three quarters way through April and we're over 900 fire fatalities in this country already. Mm. And not even to mention the numerous more displacements. How many people have nowhere to live because of a fire? So it's mm -hmm. death, yes. Displacements, even greater. Yep. And so the impact of fire in this country is, is monumental. Mm -hmm. And that weighs into the other subjects we talked about mm -hmm. because there's no way firefighters forget pulling a body out of a fire. Mm -hmm. This is behavioral health. You don't forget the things you've seen. And so all of this is almost circular, isn't yes, it? Yes, absolutely. Very interwoven. Yeah. And they all tie in. And we have to make sure that community risk reduction programs are not always the first to get cut. Because that's one of the things Amen. in the fire service is not the macho thing. Amen. So they always want to go and cut the budget. But that's one of your most important things mm -hmm. because you want to make sure that you're preventing the fires. Right. So and community risk reduction is our segue to try and do that. Mm. I love it. So let's um, I'm going to ask you guys a couple of questions. We've been through the strategy and thank you because I have gained even more insight <laughs> Uh, you three are brilliant, by the way. You're very connected. You're mentally on it uh, within the fire service as leaders. So, so thank you for those answers, first of all. But now I'm going to ask you more, a much more global answer or question. What this is uh, one of those what keeps you up at night? So I'm going to start with the chief because uh, you have lots of things I'm sure that keep you up at night. But what what's the big one, Tony? What do you worry about the most? Um, whether it's job related or not? Well, um, it is job related and it's personal. But what keeps me up at night is the thought of us not being as safe and our compromise of safety within the fire service when we start looking at different aspects of our job and the diversity of what we deal with on a daily basis. You know, um, we always talk about our numbers of women in the fire service and where they are. You know, we were at 3%. Uh, 11% with um, uh, volunteers, which they are very, very important. But what keeps me up at night is when we look at that dwindling, you know, uh, we have been at high percent 11, but I don't think we're at 11% now. I think that's dwindling. And when I think about the thought of us not necessarily becoming obsolete, but our numbers continually to reduce. And then at some point, I mean, we talked about re recruitment and retention. We're not seeing those people that want to come into the fire service and we have to protect our communities. And it keeps me up at night that we're having a hard time and we hadn't really figured out how to solve that and how to be more attractive. 
And I don't I don't want to get to the point where we can't protect our communities. Mm. Mm. So that really keeps me up at night of that whole re- uh, recruitment and retention of, you know, we have to do things. We're going to have to change things. We're going to have to change the way we do business. So we don't we are not faced with not having enough people to protect our community. You can only do so much mandatory overtime. Mm. Yes. Right. Yeah. And again, we're back to talking about what's the impact on your exposure and your behavior health when you right. have to mandatory them back right. for additional right. shifts right. after shift because you don't have enough people. And, and like you said, it goes back through that whole cycle. Then we start dealing with the mental health and all of those other things yeah. that, that you talked about, those strategies. And, you know, for me as a fire chief, it's really scary um, the position that we're in. You know, I know um, our our counterparts, the police department are, are really uh, having some tragedies with uh, for, with personnel within their organizations. And I think we are getting very close to where they are. And that mm. keeps me up at night mm. because how do you how do you stop it? Mm. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's a big one. That's a big one. Kalila. Um, one of the things that keeps me up is that the fire service, although we're ingrained in tradition, that they haven't seen that the world is evolving and it's time for change. Mm-hmm. And in, in many aspects. And it's like, why can't we all work together? We say this brotherhood, right? Mm-hmm. But where is the brotherhood? Mm-hmm. Where is it? Where is the inclusivity? Where is working together? Like, where is trying to make these programs like one voice coming together so that we all can work together to try to make the fire service continue to last and be a better place that we know it can be? Right. Oh, that's a big one. Big one. Rachel? I think I think for me, it's it's the idea that not only is everything outside those bay doors trying to kill us on a daily basis, whether it's physically or mentally, it's a tag into what Kalila just said is, is that we have enough out there that's trying to kill us. Why are we doing it on the inside of those bay doors? Uh, and, and the thought that any person in this fabulous fire service, this job we all love and adore is not, if there's people out there that are not being seen and treated as team members and it, in just that age old question of we'll risk our life for strangers in their things, but we'll treat each other poorly. And I think, and it's, and it's not everybody, it's a very small percent, but that small percent it has a big impact. Yeah. And I, and I just, I just, every time that bay door goes up, we need to be united front and a united team to go out there and fight the things that want to hurt us and want to kill us. And behind those bay doors should be the best place in the world. And it has been for a lot of us. It has been, but far too many don't get that experience. Yes. And those are the things that if we can leave better than we found it and we truly mean it, and we truly mean that this is the best job in the world. Then we got to get there. Oh, I love it. Wow. Very profound answers. So I'm going to flip it on you now. We're going to go, we're going to go positive, maybe even fantasy world here. I don't know. But if you had the power, I'm giving you all power now to change anything you want to change. I know you said what keeps you up at night. Maybe that's not even your rethink it. Is that really your priority? If you could change it, would you change it? Right? So put it in the context of positive. If you could change something right now, what would it be? Rachel, I'm going to start back with you. Within the fire service? Yes. I would, I would, I would flip the script. I would, I would put these things that need more time and money way ahead of a hundred other things. I would make sure that we spend three weeks, every Academy talking about resiliency and mental health. I would make sure that every budget included the things that allow us to be mental warriors in the game we're playing. I would give as much time to hands-on training as I would 
just overall being a good human, the things that prepare our firefighters, I would offer, you know, little things, financial classes, things to set us up so that if someday we cannot do this job, we are still happy, productive members of society. Mm. And honestly, I think I would sprinkle fairy dust over the overall leadership of the fire service in our country. And I don't, I don't mean from you. I mean, in that, in that middle area to be inclusive and supportive of the team going out the door Mm. and put who they are first and put your money where your mouth is on those things. Flip the script on what we know we need, but it's always too much money or not enough time. I would give it all the money and time in the world. I love it. I love it. Talia. I would just want everyone to learn this message that we are one. We all came into the fire service with one mission and vision in mind, and it's supposed to help people, right? So if we learn to keep that at our heart at bay, lead with love, and remember that we are one, we can make this a better fire service. Mm. So that's what you would change. Tony, what would you change? Yes. And, and I'm more like Kalila. I would, if I had a magic wand, Mm. um, we would become one. You know, I like that message Mm. that you are spreading because we can all have different mission, a different mission, different values, but that teamwork is imperative. And if we're going to change things, Mm. if we're going to help people, if we're going to continue on, we have to operate as that one big family that we say we are Mm -hmm. and set aside our difference because we all are working for the same end result. Mm -hmm. And that's to make sure that everyone is safe. Mm. I love it. I love it. And thank you for bringing back in the one voice. Um, as you all know, that has become the mantra, mm-hmm. the fire service, one voice. And that is, that's the mantra and the mission. Yes. Right. We all need the seat at the table. We all want to facilitate change. And I like to think of that as being part of, you know, transformational leadership. Mm-hmm. It's yes. a mindset. Mm-hmm. And, and Rachel, you point out that middle management, we want them to be not just servant leaders, but transformational mm-hmm. leaders. Mm-hmm. And this transformational leaders say all hands on deck come with me mm-hmm. right and so that's what we want today and that fire service one voice i i thank you all for touting that for saying that is it and so i'm going to give you one more shot what gives you hope i hope you're going to say one voice fire service but no what gives you hope today for the fire service what gives you hope What gives me hope is actually you and with the work that you are are doing. We see the fire service changing before us. You have leaders in the fire service come together that would not even talk to each other at one point. Mm -hmm. We all have a seat at the table now. So you are our hope. Tony, thank you. I set that up well, didn't I? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> that was so gracious. Thank you. We all Kalina. concur because you saw I said I was saying you and then Tony got the oh. mic. But no, seriously, you're making a difference. I think everybody sees it. Everybody knows it. If they aren't, it's time to get on the bandwagon and get with it because you are it. Oh, yeah. thank you. That yes. means a great deal to me. Thank you both. Yeah. Rachel, I what think- gives you hope? It's almost as if one this one voice um, mission we have going on is like your fifth star. It's almost like it's that. about it's kind of like being a fifth star on, on the on the logo I saw of USFA. The Gavlix out there. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, the so fifth star. The things that give me hope, I'll be honest, is obviously it's the same as these 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 ladies is is you and seeing what you're doing. 
But I would be remiss to point out, even in a day like today, where as leadership, we met with, with so many people and, and the things that give me hope are the big, big ticket things. The manufacturers with the courage to stand behind the right messaging, yes. um, regardless of what others say, the, the organizations that, that host these types of, of things that bring us together to stand behind what's important and what needs to be happening to move us forward. Um, the courage it takes for big name players to do what is required, even though they know they're going to get some heat and they're going to get some backlash because it's right. Mm-hmm. And, and seeing more and more people doing the right thing and getting on, on with that so that we can transform fire services are going to move immediately, but we're going to make little adjustments as we go. And it's going to take those, those big institutions. It's going to take USFA. It's going to take a lot of the big name sponsors. It's going to take FDIC. It's going to take these big players to do the right thing, stand behind it, take the flack and move forward. Right. And so that is what is in this week has given me hope to look around and see that and, and know that the things we're doing that it matters, you know, the, the amount of time you're spending out doing these things, it matters because you're tired. We, there's a hundred other things that maybe we would, we would, I know I am. (laughs) And I think about that and I think, you know what though, it's going to be worth it because we can see it already. Imagine what next year holds. So that's what, that's. And this is the first time in my 30 year fire service career that the fire service isn't just about talk about mm. what we need to do. We have intentional, there are intentional oh, I love actions that word. I told you that earlier. behind <laughs> what we are doing. Yeah. You know, um, this whole DEI movement, you're seeing it now. It's been things in the past. Um, just like we said, diverse, for one thing, diversity used to be a bad word in the fire service. Okay. Uh, but again, we started saying it. What, what were we doing about it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There are intentional actions under your leadership now that things are actually happening. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad that during my 30 years, I got to see that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Ladies, this has been fabulous for me. This was a joy. We've been here an hour. I I can't even believe it. Uh, But this has been such a joy just to have this conversation with you all. Thank you for leading because you inspire me. You make me want to be better and want to do things for you guys. And, and it, thank you because together we do move forward together. And I'm watching as people are, are walking by. I'm watching as those who have joined us live and who will see this in the future. I hope it inspires them too because this is what it's going to take for us to move together as one voice uh, of the fire service. So thank you all for coming to the table. Thank you all for sitting in your seat at the table and for leading boldly. So thank you. This was a joy for me. Thank you. Thank you. And can we close on another collaboration that we have with you all and superintendent Gablets? Absolutely. Women in fire weekend. June 23rd to the 25th. Please go on their website and sign up. We would love to see you there. Mm-hmm. Women in Fire's first, first year, and we'll keep it going. Women Thanks to you fire. all. We did it. We did it. <laughs> Superintendent at the National Fire Academy, June 24th and 25th. Yes. Women in Fire weekend at NFA. <laughs> if you haven't registered, register, come and join us in Emmitsburg at the mm-hmm. National Fire Academy. 
at NETC campus. So, Doc, thank you for everything well. you're doing. Thank you for all the sleepless nights and the hard work you're putting in to make sure you set the example for everybody in this country on what the fire service should be. Thank you. So thank you. Thank Shout you. out to my husband, just so. Big. Because I couldn't do shout this out. if him. I didn't have support. So True story. Give, uh, shout out. So. Thank you. I bet he's cozy in our hoodie right now. Uh, he is. <laughs> he has his women in fire hoodie and he took mine. Rachel gave me, gave me one and yeah, Rich took it. And uh, so she had to send I him sent one. You another one. So yep. we now both have our women in fire hoodies. All so, right. Big supporter. Thanks, Thanks Rich. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.